me with me, if you would, this morning to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter number 7. We've been going through the book of 1 Samuel uh, for several weeks now as this year. We're going to go through this verse by verse. And uh, with this idea, the, the-, the theme we're going to put is God's story, your part. We stated many times that we believe that God has a plan for each and every one of us, something He hopes to accomplish in our lives and to bring fulfillment, even through the dark times, the hard times. But there is our part to play in that. That's what we call the doctrine of sanctification. Uh, We believe when you're saved, you immediately receive everything of the Holy Spirit. And one day we're going to be glorified. We're going to get in the presence of God. But between now and then, there's this process where God is conforming us into the image of His Son. Sometimes it's a phenomenal process. Sometimes it's not an easy process. And that's a bit what we're going to look at as we look through this story in Samuel and even now influencing into the children of Israel. Uh, Sir Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to look down. I'm not going to read the entire opening section. Uh, remember, I think I have starting in verse 3 in your notes. So let's go to verse 3 of 1 Samuel 17. The Bible says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return... I'm sorry? Seven? Okay, I keep saying... I did that all the way through making my notes too. Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 7. For those of you trying to find it, I apologize, you're lost. Like we skipped a lot if you're paying attention. Thank you. Appreciate that. First Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. Let me start that over. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do, if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, and put away the strange gods, and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you for the wonderful privilege we have to study your word this morning. Father, as we evaluate pretty much all of this chapter, I pray, Lord, that we would gain some knowledge of, of you, gain some knowledge of Scripture. And Father, leave growing in you. But Father, more importantly, may we learn the relevant nature of Scripture. What is it? Why did you give us this story? Why did you give us this passage? And Lord, how can it help us today? I pray, Father, you speak to hearts. I pray, Father, you give me the words to say nothing more and nothing less. My desire is, Lord, people to see you and see you in this, in the midst of their struggles today. I pray, Father, that they would look to you today. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Let me ask one question. Maybe it's just me. Anybody else warm in here? A few. All right. So somebody in here has got the app. They can help us. Turn the air on a little bit, all right? You know why pastors say that? The worst part about a warm auditorium, it's a very comfortable place to sleep, all right? So that's not to mention I want you comfortable too. Now, some of you are saying it finally got warm. And you're going to turn the air on, all right? So we should have blankets in the back. No, I'm just kidding, all right? We should. Usually the complainant's too cold. This morning, I want to preach a message I've entitled um, The Peace or Peace in the Land. Peace in the Land. And really, we're going to pull that from this section of Scripture where the children of Israel had been under the power and dominion of the Philistine people. 
And now we were going to see God deliver them. And we're going to see, ultimately, they'll be fully conquered. Philistines were by David. But at this point, the, the oppression that the Philistines have had, we'll see for 20 years, God will use Samuel to bring them out of that. But I hope you understand that what we're going to see today is not a military conquest. We'll see that at the end. We're going to see a spiritual revival that brings forth a military conquest, a spiritual action that brings victory and peace in the land. And when I say that, we say the land. Now, our land, if we use that term figuratively, could mean one of many things. It could be our home. It could be work. It could be the things in our mind that no one else knows about, those demons, those battles we fight that no one else knows about. And we're just hoping for peace. We're hoping to be able to get from where we are to where God desires us to be. And I believe in our day, enjoying peace, that God offers us in the good days and in bad days. And let me explain what I mean by peace. Peace is not necessarily lack of struggles. Some people get this idea, I know God has given me peace when all of my battles and struggles disappear. That's peace. No, that's just absence of conflict. And unfortunately, even God says in Scripture, He wants us to be peacemakers. Peacemakers are those who go into the time of conflict and can turn it into peace. Peace is not that there's no problems in my life. The peace that God offers, and we get this wrong. We think that peace is something that God will give me, which means He'll eliminate my problems. By the way, if that's your view of God and Christianity, you can become confused and relatively frustrated. If you think that God's peace is, uh, is absence of struggle, you're going to believe in much of your life that God has forgotten about you. God's peace is not absence of battle. God's peace is freedom and power in the midst of that. This peace that passes all understanding, Paul says, in the midst of the crisis, when finances are tight, when family seems to be exploding, when, when work seems to be oppressive, when the world seems to be in chaos... There is just peace that God is in control, that God loves you, that God knows you, and that God is going to navigate you through the chaos. It's not an absence of chaos, but power and the presence of God when these things exist. Let me believe. I believe we can have great homes. We can have an effective, powerful church. We can have restored, enjoy restored relationships with others. We can enjoy answered prayer in our lives. That, I believe, is God's plan and God's desire. It does not just randomly happen. We need to do our part. This is God's plan. What I believe happens is we can lose what God desires or experience what we might feel as chaos when we're not following what God has put in our lives. Right, so my marriage is falling apart or chaos, and sometimes it's simply because we haven't followed God's scriptured plan to do what I need to, to enjoy peace. I, there's a problem at home, a problem at work, and things like that, and some of it is other people. But can I encourage you? Our peace does not come as a result of other people. Our peace comes from God in our lives, and we have a part to play in that. So what is necessary for us to have peace in our lives, to enjoy this world that just seems to be always talked about but never obtained? Let me state a foundational position here I think is important. I believe that the chaos that comes in our lives is a result of our distance from God, and that is a result of some decisions we make. So 
some of the chaos we're in and some of the battles we fight are because God says, we want you to go here, and you say, no, I want to do this, and I want to do that. And we choose to not follow Scripture. i give you an example. God has given me as a husband a command in Scripture in Ephesians that I'm to love my wife. Now, please understand, that word love is not the word that Hollywood uses, all right? That word love, while there is an emotion attached to it, it is not an emotional word. It is a choice. It is a decision. It's an action I make. Now, I do believe with all my heart that as I follow the obedience in showing the action of love to my wife, I will grow in the emotion of love for my wife. Here's what we say. Here's what the world says. If you feel this great love for your wife, then of course you're going to treat her a certain way. But if you've lost the feeling, then just walk away. That is the exact opposite of what God stated. God, you say, but pastor, my wife's not always loving. What if I asked her about you? All right? You say, well, don't do that. As counselors, one of the things they tell us to do, I don't like doing this. People come in, I don't like being a referee. Pastor, she did this and he did this. and I, I, I listen because I learn a lot of information. And I'm writing it down. But you know when it all comes down to it? I'm not going to sit there and take sides. Why? Because I'm afraid of somebody in that room, all right? Something's going to turn out poorly. Now, here's the point. We get this. So here's what I say. If I come and I say, well, I'll love my wife when she's lovable. Well, go back to the vows, remember? I'm going to love her in better or worse. Rich and poor, sickness and health. God has not said, love them when they are easy to love. He just says, love them. Now, if I have chaos in my marriage because I choose to ignore God's command, where's the chaos coming from? Me. I know I can say my wife isn't this or my kid's not this and work's not this, but in a lot of occasions, the chaos is simply me. Not doing the simple thing, and it's not always simple, but in obedience to God, being the husband, being the father, the things I need to be, and then allowing the emotions to roll out. In our day, our emotions dictate our actions, which is not the way it's supposed to be. Oh, I don't feel, I don't feel like doing it, so I'm not going to do it. No, 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 no. Our actions create the emotion. So I do something that God's asked me to do, and when I'm doing it, then my emotions will change. My emotions are just symptoms of what's going on inside. So I choose to not let them control me, and I move forward to be part of that change. So we're looking for peace. We're hoping for this power that God can give us in our lives. So four things this morning that I think will help us to find peace in the land from this passage as we work through it. The first one is this, recognize our current condition. We're to recognize our current condition. The first two verses of 1 Samuel 7, I said it right this time, 1 Samuel 7. Verse 1, and the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it unto the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of the Israel lamented after the Lord. So one of the things you have to see in this passage is remember, just years earlier, there had been two different wars. They thought God's presence was there. God's presence was absence. Remember, God didn't leave. They had left God. They had stepped away. And in that time, God had allowed them. The ark was taken away. Now it's sitting in a separate land. It's not in the temple or tabernacle where God wants it to be. And it's a constant reminder that God's power and God's blessing was not on the children of Israel. 
And I think the practical application we can see is we must want more out of our life and the Christian journey than what we have right now. See, Satan wants you to be convinced that what God has already done for you is all he can do. There's nothing more. There's nothing else to look forward to. And where you are now is it. Here's what I can tell you from Scripture and a guarantee that if you are still alive, God's got something more for you. You may be newly saved. You may be the youngest person in this room. You may be the not youngest person in this room. All right? I try to be politically correct when I can. All right? You might be in either one of those boats. God still has something for you. He's got something to bring fulfillment and joy. But if we're not careful, we become content, shall we say, with the scraps up from the table. In uh, Wednesday nights, we've been studying through the book of Nehemiah. And I read a commentator state something. Frankly, I've probably seen it, but it really stuck out to me when I was studying this. So Nehemiah, in the beginning, hears about his hometown of Jerusalem in Israel. And he hears that the walls are down, the gates are burned, and the city's basically in disarray. So it just breaks his heart. He's fasting and praying. He gets permission from the king, and he takes an army back to rebuild the walls. So he gets back there, and he sees the destruction. Now, one of the things that's intriguing to me is, as Nehemiah is evaluating the rubble and making a plan to solve the problem, something in Scripture points out something intriguing. And that was, he comes to the people who have been in there for a couple years by now. He said, I, I don't get the point of that. Nehemiah, when he saw the rubble, the first thing was, we can do better. We can expect more from God. All the other people had just been content to live in the rubble. They didn't want to deal with the grief of building the wall and the pain and maybe the enemies against that. They'd rather live in the comfort of things just where they are. And I won't deny the fact that the step of building the wall, Nehemiah dealt with a lot of adversity. But that's the thing. When I'm walking with God, Satan doesn't want me to move forward. So there are going to be times in life that he's going to do things, that Satan's going to try to do things, and God's going to help us through that. If we're not willing to recognize where we are and say, I want more, the rest of what we're going to talk about today won't really be of help. God desires so much more in our life. So let's, let's see the condition of these people and see if we can see ourselves in it. Let's look at what they had lost, what the children of Israel lost. Remember, at one point, they were God's chosen people. They are God's chosen people. At this point, they had lost his blessing. They had lost the sweet possession of God's blessing and his close relationship with God. Consider this, throughout the time of what we call the Judges, the book of Judges, the children of Israel struggle, struggle with what we call the cycle of sin. They would live years enjoying God's great blessing and protection, but then they would turn from God to other idols. In, after that, because of God's punishment, they would re experience a period of captivity, and then God, would, when they would repent, God would bring them back. They did this over and over and over and over again. That was a battle. So they're in the same spot. So the question comes, why? Why they experienced this loss? What was the reason they experienced the loss? I want you to find out something interesting. It's not that they refused Jehovah God as much as they added to Jehovah God. Notice, if we were to look at it, ultimately Samuel tells the people to worship God only. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, it's where we get the Ten Commandments from. Uh, well, first one, what did God say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. See, why is that important? Notice God didn't say, thou shalt leave, not leave me. 
Thou shalt not abandon me. Thou shalt not stop worshiping me. He said, don't have a God before me. The tendency of the children of Israel, and I dare say our tendency, is not that we abandon God and become atheists or say, I don't believe in God. The tendency of the children of Israel is they would place other things more important, in this case, other gods. We read it, Baal, Ashtaroth. They found, they still worshiped God, but they found other gods and they worshiped them as well or more. See, they get this idea. It's not, we've not abandoned Jehovah. He's still a or one of our gods, but we're going to enjoy the cultural gods. Why not? And you can justify that. You know, today, the premise, and here's the idea of an idol or a god. It's anything in our life that becomes more important than God. It's honestly that simple. Most of us, generally in our culture today, are not going to have idols in our home that we would worship to. Today, it's going to be things that draw us from God. Things that become more important than God. Excuse me, Satan is going to try to put things into your life that will pull you from God and say this is more important than God. Those become idols. Those become things that yank me from God. In a year from now, I'm, I'm so far from God from where I used to be because I've allowed an idol to get into my life. It's not that they abandoned God. They just added things that ultimately became more important than God. See, we don't have to actually be in horrible, great sin to be where these children of Israel were. We just have to not be as close to God as we were or could be. We just have to allow a distance that God never desired. And in that distance, our thinking and everything begins to change. So if we want peace, I must recognize the condition I'm in. Here's what it comes down to. A lot of times we see the condition is I'm in horrible sin. And it might be. There might be something in your life right now that you know is wrong. I, and I, I'm not one to get up and start naming sins because I'll miss one. And I, then I'll probably, you know, I don't want to name mine either. We all, I, I believe this with all my heart. I believe the Holy Spirit works actively to convict of sin. It's not my job to try and make you feel guilty about sin. I think we all already struggle with that. Here's what I believe. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to get to a certain point. So we know internally there's this struggle. There's this chaos. God wants me here, but my flesh wants me here. And you know the chaos I'm talking about. This internal battle that you just say, I, I'm trying to do both. I go to church, but it's just not what it could be. And, and then I, this, and, and the chaos inside, and there's just this internal struggle. Chaos. We don't have to live that way. You say, but if I come back to God and admit what I'm doing, can I remind you God already knows he knows what you're doing. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you want to do. And he loves you no matter what. It doesn't mean what we're doing is right. But sometimes we're afraid to come. Satan wants us to be afraid to come back to God. Peace comes when I come back to God and realize that he's not only wanting to offer forgiveness, he's already offered forgiveness. And I just need to come and accept it. And I might have to do it constantly. But the chaos could be not just sin. It could be that God has says, here's where I'm at. He wants me to be further. He's got some great blessings, but you say, I don't know if I want to take that step of faith. I don't know if I want to do this or to give this or serve here. I don't know if I want to do these things. And I'm going to tell you my experience. When God begins to tell you what the next step is, it's rarely something you're, it's easy to do or you're excited. Now you're excited to do it, but with that excitement comes apprehension. What's the apprehension? What if I mess up? Okay, let me give you an example. One announcement I failed to write down, so I'll throw it in right here, okay? Uh, in the summer, what we've always tried to do for our kids program is give those uh, men and women who work in our kids program the summer off. So they can rest, relax, join vacation, come to church. 
And, uh, but we're, we're running into an issue to where we want to do that, but we need people to fill in for them. We need you to come alongside and say, I can serve in the children's church throughout the summer. Now, what we're looking for is not one family to take the entire summer. We understand vacations and all of that. What we're hoping for is several either families or groups of people to come together and say, I can do one week a month for the summer, which means you'll do it three, maybe four times. We, need, we could get four of them. That'd be great. Four couples or four groups. You can't do it alone. Four groups of people to say, I can do something. We'll give you the tools. We'll give you the schedule. Uh, we want you to be engaged. We want you to take time to pray for the kids and love the kids. Kids catch on when you're just filling in a room just to fill a room. We want you to be engaged in that. So let's say, and, and this is not just an illustration. We actually do need that. There's sign-up sheets around the building for if you say, I'm willing once or twice, at least, we'll probably need at least three times this summer, I would love to fill in. We'll train you. We'll take some time to explain what that means. We still have to do background checks and things like that, which we pay for. But here's the thing. So you hear this, you're like, man, I, I would love to do that. Then you get nervous. What if I mess up? What if I say something silly? You know, like tell people to turn to the wrong book of the Bible, right? Wrong chapter. What if I do that? And what if I need the board to yell at me to tell me to get right, right? What if, what if, okay. what if we need that? Here's the point. It doesn't matter. You probably will at some point say or do something that's silly. You know the benefit with that young age? They will think that was the best part of children's church. This is on Wednesday nights. They'll be like, I want to go back and see if he does it again. That's the best part. And here's why we ask you to do it. We need people to fill in the summer. No. We want to give you an opportunity to invest eternally in the lives of the kids in our church and those we're trying to bring in from the community. We want you to be part of that. We want you to engage in that and to experience what it's like to invest your life into the eternal lives of the kids here. There's nothing like it. It transcends just coming to church. You say, well, I'm scared. That's what Satan wants you to believe. That's what I'm talking about, the condition. I want to do it, but don't let Satan throw in these ideas that it won't work. You have something God wants to do. Let's continue moving. Number two, what do we do? Respond to the call of God. Respond to the call of God. Verse three. Chapter 7, verse 3, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord and Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. So what we have is this unique call. Let me give you, let's work through this and give you what we're looking at. Two things. One, this was a conditional call. Samuel stated at the beginning of what we said, if you will turn back to God. So the first verse, they talked about the idea that the children of Israel were in despair. They finally said, we're done living the way we want. We want God. We want God to move. We want God to do something in our life. And so Samuel says, if you truly want this, then here are some things you need to do. It's a conditional call. God's not going to force it on you. And God's not just going to do it for you. If we want that peace and we recognize our condition is not where it should be, then I must say, Lord, I must get on my knees. If I'm not the husband I need to be, I don't come to pastor and say, Lord, fix my wife, right? I come to God and say, fix me. 
Help me to be who I need to be as a husband. Me to be as I need to be as a father. I study scripture, but I must desire to do that. That desire is what brings me to church. That desire is what takes me to the Word of God. That desire is what brings me back to church. That desire is what says, Lord, how can I do more? It is that desire that drives me. It's a conditional call. They were given a choice. Samuel stated that God would forgive, but they had to choose to turn back. It was their choice. There's a key phrase in the verses we read that says, we see to prepare your hearts unto the Lord. Simply, this is a heart condition. This is not just something where he says, do this. You know, say the right words. Come to church, look good. He goes, God knows your heart. So prepare your hearts. Is this real? God sees not what you're saying. He sees what you really believe. But then he said, we see that this is a call to action. You see, if they agreed to move forward, Samuel stated they needed to put away and then put on. Here's what he said in the passage. Put away the gods of Balaam and Ashtaroth. Now, we know that these gods that we can see, um, that the god of Balaam was a god of uh, basically weather. And you say, why is that important? Because when you get to the war in a little bit, God used thunder to defeat the enemy. Used the same thing they believed would be their god. Ashtaroth was the god of fertility which ended up resulting in a lot of immorality. They believed she would help bring more children. But the call was not just to go to God, but to put away those other things. The call today, maybe there are things we need to put away, sin and things in our life. Maybe what we need to do is just put God in the right place. These things, maybe there's some things in our life that are good, it's important, you know, we need to make money and we need to take care of our kids, but if we're not careful, those things can become more important than God and we miss the core. I want to put food on the table for my family like anybody else, but my walk with God and me being a godly man is more important than the food I put on the table. And I need to see it that way. So I must make a call to action. I prioritize my life so that my family can know that they are important. I prioritize my life so that my family will see that I desire to serve God. I desire to make Him number one in what's going on. You know, there's unique phrases in here that they said. They gathered to me, verse 6, it says, They gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured out before the Lord and fasted on that day. There's two things they were asked to do. They poured out water and they fasted. You say, what in the world it has to do? Many believe this has to do with the Feast of the Tabernacles. And there's two things. They're both of them are symbolisms. Obviously, fasting is throughout Scripture. If you want God to move, fasting will be part of it. But why pour out water? What was it a symbol of? Remember when the children of Israel were journeying in the wilderness? Twice. One of those got Moses in trouble. How did God provide water? Through the rock. This was a picture and a reminder that God was their provider. A reminder of what God had done for their ancestors and that God would provide, God would protect them. And so they filled the water and poured out as a reminder of what God had done for them. God is their leader. And then they would come and fast and pray and beg God to turn in that condition. It's a call to action. Simply this, it is God's desire that we enjoy His blessing and freedom in our lives. He calls and pleads with us, but only we can accept that call and choose God. Only we can say, I want what God has. I don't want to live in this battle, and I can have more. Let's go to number three. 
The third thing we do to enjoy peace, remember to trust in the Lord. So we must recognize our condition. We must accept God's call. He helps us to see what's the next thing. Three, remember to trust in the Lord. Verse number seven. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together in Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, for he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came unto Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it in, in between Mizpah and Shem and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. So well, let me tell you what's going on in this passage. Samuel comes. They're, they've come to revival. They've come to pray. They're pouring out the water, doing all the things that God's asked them to do. And the children of Israel, children or the Philistine people noticed it. They had seen this crowd of people gather, and they said, they're come to revolt. And so as the Philistines have been doing for 20 plus years, they're like, we're just going to go defeat them again. We're going to go remind them that they are to serve us. And so the Philistines started coming down to battle. The children of Israel weren't there for battle. They were there for worship. And as they're standing there for worship, they hear the sound of the army coming. And they're like, we're not prepared. We don't even have a king. We don't have a leader. What are we going to do? Can you imagine this? Can you, here's a thinking that might have gone through their mind. So Samuel brings us out here. We get right with God, and then God delivers us to the enemy again. Can you imagine, if you're not careful, how Satan can use things like that to lie to you about what God is or is not doing? We are to trust the Lord. Here's some thoughts. How about they had to? One, trust the Lord when things seem difficult. Trust the Lord when things seem difficult. I can guarantee you that what you're going through, God is aware. And yes, God can help you through it, but it's probably not what you expected. We look at verses like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And it's easy to do until you're in the midst of something that just defies common sense. Hey, Lord, I want this, and this is what I thought you were going to do, and you're not doing it. And it just doesn't make sense. Now, I can go back to Isaiah. You know, the, the thoughts and actions of God are different than mine. So I can trust that. And while that gives me theological hope, it still doesn't make sense. Lord, I've asked you to do this, and this is how I hope it ends, and you didn't. When things get difficult, continue to trust God. I will tell you a couple things that I can promise you about that. One, God is aware of the situation you're in. He's allowed it to come. God has already given you the answer you need. You just got to seek it out. You got to go find out what is it that I need to learn? How can I endure this? How can I gain wisdom? How can I gain patience? How can I grow? This is where James tells us, count it joy when you find yourself in diverse temptations, trials. It will develop maturity in your life. So I see, I'm going to trust God when things are difficult. Remember, peace is not the absence of chaos. Peace is God's presence in the midst of chaos 
when things are difficult. Trust God when things seem difficult. The children of Israel heard the people coming and said, wait, wait, this is not what we thought was going to happen. Trust God, number two, when the steps of growth are met with discouragement. So in this situation, the children of Israel came. They had fulfilled what God asked. They got right with God. They're having a good old-fashioned revival. And then all of a sudden, they're going to be defeated. They don't even have that. Did they even bring weapons? We don't know. Now, we know the Bible says they sent the military men out, but they've been depleted. They've not been able to defeat the Philistines in over 20 years. They were met with discouragement. You know what? God has done great things. We've had a great church service, but I don't know if God can help me in the battlefield. I enjoyed coming to church, singing the praises to God, and it's great to be in the presence of God, but I'm not sure if God can help me this afternoon. I don't know if God's got an answer from Monday through Friday for this guy at work or this person at work or this struggle in my life or the answer for the chaos in my mind that I just can't seem to get answers for. When you grow... You're going to meet some resistance because Satan doesn't want you to grow. Trust God when steps, your time of growth, are met with discouragement. Because sometimes it's going to feel like God's not there. He's forgotten. Can I promise you? He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He is aware. He is there. Even David said in the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. You will guide and direct and he will take care of what it is you're dealing with. He's not just going to eliminate it, but he will give you all the tools to be able to solve that problem, to work through it, to work on the marriage, to strengthen the home. To be able to deal with the conflict at work. To be able to deal with that illness that your family member or friend is going through. To be able to sense His presence and His power and His grace. This is the peace that God desires and wants to offer to you. And He says, when things are falling apart, hey, you understood your condition. You've moved to me in prayer. And things seem to get a little harder. Trust me. Even sometimes when you're discouraged. Number three, trust God when the battle is just too big. You see, what was the answer for Israel? Prayer, sacrifice to God, we must do our part, and then they had to go to war. Now, interesting when you, when you read this, the story, what happens is, they ask Samuel to pray for him. So Samuel does a sacrifice, and I believe this, when we, when we want God to move, it often does require sacrifice on our part. So they sacrifice the animal, and he began to pray. And as he prayed, God went to fight for Israel. And what did he use? Thunders. To the point where it confused the Philistines. He used an action that they believed their God had power over. And then he confused them. And then the children of Israel had to go to war. I want you to catch a very, very important principle here that is key to understanding this thought. Do you know God could have just wiped out the Philistines by himself? But he chose not to. You ever wondered why if God could have defeated them, why he chose not to? He just confused them and let Israel defeat them? There's a lot we can gain from that. Number one, God wants to work on our life, but he wants us to be part of it. He's not just going to solve the problem. He's going to give us the ability to solve the problem, to work through it, to grow in wisdom. You know, it's a simple principle we hear a lot of times. Sometimes we beg God for wisdom. He gives us opportunities to, in circumstances where we need wisdom. We ask God for patience, and he puts us in situations where we can learn patience. Don't you hate that? Maybe it's just me. God give me patience, and he gives you a week of chaos. That's how this week was. I woke, up, I woke up Monday morning, and I had a bunch of things that I had to get done. 
more than my normal week. And then my schedule didn't turn out like I expected it to. And the only thing worse when you're not in control is when everything else falls apart. And I woke up anxious. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get it all done. God, give me patience. That's what he did. He just gave me more. So I can learn patience in the midst of it. Not only did God make them want to be part of it, God had Israel part of it because it is their action. God says, I won't just do it for you. I will equip you. As they went back to war, they were reminded they still do their part and God equips. God's not going to do it for them. God's going to do it through them. In your home, you want, you want peace? You are, you're the start. You're the start. You say, I'm not the one causing chaos. I didn't, maybe you may not be. But I can promise you, peace comes when someone is a peacemaker. I encourage the husbands to start here. I believe we should be the leader. It starts with standing firm in front of God and being right with God. And then we take the necessary steps to love our wives, to be the father we need to be, to be that voice. And there's going to be good days and bad days, but we keep doing it. You know, let me tell you what might happen. Husbands, you may step up and do everything you're supposed to, and that night your wife's going to say, what's wrong with you? What do you want? You know, they're going to think all of these things. Why? Because you probably were different than you've been the last couple months. They say, well, I'd love to be able to say that to my wife too. Don't get off track, okay? I go do what God's asked me to do. And you know what? If your wife comes to you, what do you say? Here's a simple answer. I'm trying. That's it. I'm trying. God has really led me to do this, and I'm going to have good days and bad days. I'm trying. Because you know what's going to happen? Two days later, you're going to totally bomb because we're guys and we're human. Now, that can be anything. Wives, you want that? You want to win your husband? Show that respect that only the Bible gives you the ability to show. You can win him. Uh, there, there's a, a lady in our church, uh, just a few months ago, she sent us a text. She was in our church for years, and all that time we were praying for her husband to get saved. They moved down to the Midwest, and she sent me a, a text and says, guess what, Bob got saved in church. But you know one of the keys I believe with all my heart is why Bob got saved? is because Cindy loved him even when he wasn't, and treated him. I mean, their relationship was great as she continued to pray for him. See, that's the thing. The battle seems too big. I can't do it. You're not supposed to do it alone. But you are supposed to do it. And you step out in faith, and you take that step every day, and you say, God, I can't do this. I'm afraid. I'm nervous. What if it doesn't work? Well, if you do it on your own, it won't work. And you keep walking out, and you keep stepping in faith. And then as you do it, you do your part, and then you let God take care of the hearts of the people that you can't change. It will take sacrifice. It will take work. It will take patience. But God will move. This come back to why we even name the series God's Story, Our Part. This is what we do. Number four, and then we'll be done. Then what do we do? Receive God's blessing. Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued. And they came no more to the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. From Mekron even to Gath and the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went from year to year in the circuit to Bethel and to Gilgal and to Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there, excuse me, there was his house. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. There's three things that we can see 
Number one, freedom was given. The Bible says the Philistines were subdued and they came no more to the coast of Israel. The hand of the Lord was against them. All of the days of Samuel, they, there was freedom in the land. They had received what they had longed for. God delivered them. They did not deliver themselves. God did it. Through their actions, faith without works is dead. Here's the thing. You want freedom? You want that peace? You want what it is that God wants to, wants to give to you? It's not going to be easy. It's going to require some fasting. It's going to require some praying. It's going to require sacrifice, persistence. While you stay on your knees begging for that loved one, begging for that family member, begging for your circumstance you're in, begging for healing, begging for peace, and you're, when you're going to do your part, God will do it. It is a promise. And this is why I say we start. You can be like the children of Israel were in Nehemiah's day. They saw the rubble. They didn't see what could happen. They just accepted what was there. You can say, well, you know what? If I try, it may get worse. It's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. Or you can say, I'm going to try my best, and I'm going to see what God will do. Freedom was given to blessings were restored. We see that they were given several patches of land back that had been taken throughout the years for more. They were given back what had belonged to them. They received back the land. So not only were they given freedom, they received things that they had lost before. Sometimes in our decisions, we make, th- make things happen, we lose something. Peace or friendships or whatever. We can enjoy restoration. Number three, God's leadership was followed. And I believe this is the reason why for the remainder of Samuel's life, God blessed because they followed Samuel's leadership. It's not Samuel. Samuel was not the reason they were blessed. Samuel followed God and they followed Samuel. Now, I'm not going to convert that to say, I follow God, you follow me. I'm not a prophet, okay? Uh, I will say this. I think we should have people in our lives that we're accountable to, that we should follow. Paul says, follow me as I follow God. But that doesn't mean you place someone up on a pedestal because the moment they make a mistake, your life falls apart. What I'm saying is we should realize we can do better. We can grow. And if there is a leader that God has placed in our life, we follow it according to Scripture. Not them, but what God wants them to do. We follow the leadership of the Word of God. Men, that should be us. Following God's leadership so that our families can follow us. Mothers, we should be that example in our homes for our children and for the community. We should follow God and follow our leadership so that the world will see that. This is abnormal. We are in a world where we're fighting leadership every day. Don't you think it's surprising that the very first major split was Satan leaving heaven? Why? Because he didn't like leadership. What does he want us to do today? Fight leadership. That's not, that's just chaos. That's just Satan. And he wants us to follow that. And by that, I mean the word of God. Now, let me challenge you today as we come to a close. Are you enjoying peace? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, again, lack of of chaos. Chaos all over the place. In your life, can you say, you know, there's good days and bad days, but I am enjoying the peace of God, the movement of God. I can expect answered prayer. It's not always easy, but God is moving. Can you say that? Praise the Lord. Maybe you say, no, and there's a sin in my life I need to get rid of. Maybe you say, no, and I've just kind of become comfortable with the rubble, and I haven't really wanting to take that next step. Maybe the answer is you would say, Pastor, I'm not saved. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about being baptized. Maybe your answer is you say, I'm not saved. 
You see, the first peace that God wants to bring is that peace with God. You see, if we're not saved, what happens is the Bible says we're at enmity with God. We're an enemy of God. We're, a family of, we're part of family of Satan. Without Jesus, we're part of Satan's family. And Satan's family is an enemy of God's family. And so that's where this chaos comes from. And you might have even been searching church after church and reading online and listening to podcasts and you say, it just doesn't seem to answer because the answer is not found in church. The answer is not found in religion. The answer is not found in me. The answer is found in Christ alone. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That was Jesus' word. Not through church, not through religion. Church is a great thing. Baptism is great. It's wonderful. It's necessary. Being in church and doing all the things is what God wants us to do. But that comes after salvation. Sometimes we strive to use religion to gain peace. And it only brings more chaos. Peace starts with the peace with God. You say, but how can I gain that? Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, in Romans, we're told, for the wages of sin is death. My punishment for my sin is hell. But the gift of God, the Bible says, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Twice, he references it as a gift. It's not something I can earn because I'll get to heaven and I'll brag on myself. It's a gift from God through his grace by my faith. Here's what it simply means. If I am today acknowledging that Jesus is God, not a God, not one of the gods, not just another way to gain peace because that's not true salvation. I am willing, as the children of Israel had to do, put aside all these other religions and look to God alone. And I believe He is Almighty God. And today, I'm willing to confess and repent of my sin to Him and to put my faith in Him, make Him Lord of my life, and to truly follow. Listen, if this is just a traditional thing you do in church to feel better, that's not salvation. Prayer alone will not save you. The Bible says, with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. You must really believe this. And with the heart, with the mouth, excuse me, confession is made unto salvation. That's what we call you to today. You know, in a little bit, you can do that. Even right where you're seated, you can call on him. But do you truly believe? Are you willing today to turn from your life, 